Konnichiwa. You're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Brought to you by me, Brandon Hopper. I'm just a regular dude living a regular life with three dogs, lots of opinions, and a laundry basket that smells like a barbecue pit. I come here a few times a week to get everything off my chest and hopefully make you laugh, think, and question things a little bit. I'm fully aware that not everyone wants to hear my opinions at all times, so I refrain from sharing them in real life too often, and I come here between zero and three times a week to record them and put them on the interwebs and let people choose who hears them, because no one likes to know it all. Hopefully one day I can charge money to share my opinions and people will pay it, but until then, it's got to be free of charge. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the next 30 to 40 minutes of complete nonsensical calamity and ramblings. Apologize, it's been a while, but my life's been a whirlwind lately. And if you could see me right now, you would think, what in the world is going on there? And if you'll remember, on my last episode, I talked about looking to find someone to do my podcast editing for me so I don't have to spend two hours chopping up audio. And, of course, no one contacted me about being sponsors, which is fine, whatever. Enjoy your free show and just take and don't give back. That's cool. I went out and found an editor and paid out of pocket to have all the editing done. It didn't cost much. Only like, I want to say $12 or 9 maybe. I think it was like less than $10. So I'm not complaining, but... One day, if I can't afford to do it and the show shuts down, you'll have yourselves to thank for never becoming a sponsor. But anyway, I sent the audio to the guy, and he did his deal, chopped out all the stuff that shouldn't have been there, and sent it back to me. And I had a few questions about it, and I wasn't sure. The, you know, still wasn't really happy with how it sounded. So he asked me, he's like, where are you recording? I was like, in an empty bedroom with hard floors and hard walls. And he said, well, that's a huge problem. He said, as silly as it sounds, take some blankets and hang them up on your walls and you'll be surprised what difference it makes. So I'm now in my office in my house. I've got a pillow sitting up on a shelf above the desk. I got one blanket draped over my lamp and humidor to try to create some space of blanketness. And then I've got a big quilt hanging from my ceiling fan right behind my head. So we'll see. Hopefully this one turns out a little bit more to my liking. He also gave me some tips on audio adjustment settings and blah, blah, blah. So I'm not going to go into the details on that. But I've implemented those as well. 
And when I said my life's been a whirlwind this past week, I'm not kidding. In addition to the work that I do at the brewery on a normal basis, I have now become the full-time barbecue cook. So last week, I cooked, I think, 35 briskets and, I don't know, probably 50 racks of ribs. Yeah, so needless to say, I spend most of my days tending a fire, doing what someone could do that earns about $15 an hour. Thank you, COVID. I appreciate that. You've now reduced me to working for less than I've ever worked for in my entire life. (laughs) Oh, I laugh in irony because I've never worked this hard for free forever. You know, walk through the uh, tap room of the brewery and someone will say, hey, are you, are you the owner? And I like to say, ah, you could say that. It's mainly the bank. I call myself a volunteer at risk. That's always good for a laugh. But it's true. You know, I know it's kind of old news because I didn't get to it as fast as I would have liked to. But I cannot get over this statement that Oprah Winfrey came out and made. You know... Here she is. I'll back up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase the statement. Basically, she came out and she said, white people are privileged because of the colors of their skin, and black people just cannot accomplish what white people can accomplish because they have black skin. And, and I'm not going to quote it because there was more to it than that, but that was the gist of it. And I just don't understand how someone sitting in her position can make that claim. Like, what are you, are you openly admitting that you just got lucky that you overcame the odds because of luck? Because that's the only thing that you could attribute it to. You know, she came from a poor environment. From what I understand, had a rough childhood. Didn't have the great parental influence that many kids have. And instead of using her platform to say, look what I did. I'm capable. You're capable. Instead of following that route, she sits up there and says that the only reason white people can accomplish the things they do is because they're white, and the only reason that black people can't accomplish things that they're not accomplishing is because they're black. And I just think that if I were a middle-aged white woman who loved Oprah Winfrey and everything she stood for, I would hear that and I would think, why would you say that? You know, she was she was taking some shots at white people. You know, it wasn't just the whole privilege thing, but she was actually taking some shots. I'm sure you've heard about it. I would encourage you to go look it up and listen to it. But I'm thinking the people who put you where you are, the people that spent their hard-earned money or their free white privileged money to buy your books so that you can make billions and billions of dollars a year. You can become the world's most wealthy woman. You're not going to use your success as a motivator. You're going to sit there and tell people what they can't do and why they can't succeed and who's against them and how to raise their kids and how to be married. And you've never had kids and you've never been married, but you've been black and you've overcome these struggles that you claim exist. And you're not going to motivate people to try? You're going to just sit back and tell them why they can't do it? I don't get it. I really don't get it. I didn't have a lot of respect for her because I've heard about how she treats people in person. 
from from well-known sources and multiple encounters. But now, sorry, Oprah, you're dead to me. There's a guy that um, has been a pretty big influence in my life. I don't know. I don't know about influence, but he's a guy that I enjoy listening to. And the model that he follows to run his brand or his business, if you want to call it that, he's a he started out a radio DJ, and now he's the host of a morning show. His name is Bobby Bones. He was on Dancing with the Stars. He actually won Dancing with the Stars. He's been on American Idol. He's, he's now got his own TV show that they're filming on Nat Geo. But anyway, he was a young, poor trailer park kid from nowhere, Arkansas. And one of the things that I respect most about him was that he's, he's done, he's lived the American dream. He's gone from the bottom to the top. And, and his whole thing is like, look, we're not all the same. Some of us have different privileges in certain areas, but everyone has the opportunity to overcome that. You just have to work harder. So you can sit there and believe that you're disadvantaged in any way that you want to, but it's up to you to work hard enough to overcome that. And to me, that's the message that we should be telling people. Not what they can't do, but what they can do. And I understand that a lot of these performing artists, these rappers, actors, actresses, these athletes, they're anomalies. They're not, it's, it's almost impossible to be one of those people because those are gifted in certain areas. They've been given a gift. But haven't they faced the same disadvantage that everyone else faces? Or do we overlook that disadvantage whenever someone has a talent? I don't think so. I just think we should spend more time telling kids what they can do if they try hard. Let's motivate. Let's not make up excuses. Because really, telling someone why they can't do something or or blaming it on something systemic is just an excuse, right? I mean, don't tell me why you can't do something. Tell me you're going to overcome the odds and do it. And I understand that that might not be part of a culture, But if people that have done that and they've been there and they've experienced it and they've overcome the odds and they've done what they're not supposed to do, if those people would use their experience as a motivator, perhaps it would drown out the other people who are saying, you can't because of blank. I don't know. It's worth a shot. The longer we sit around and let people tell us why they can't do things is the longer we're going to sit there and argue. It won't go anywhere. It will not go anywhere. Speaking of not going anywhere, I am so tired of COVID-19. And I get it. Everyone is, Brandon. We're all tired of this. No one is enjoying this. I think that's kind of wrong, but I'm not going to go into that right now. I'm just, I'm sick of the media coverage. I'm sick of the mask mandate. I'm sick of everything. I got mask shamed at the store the other day for the first time. Ugh. It took everything I had. It really did. It took everything I had not to pop off at this old, crusty, grumpy, grouchy, ugly, long-haired old man. I was buying ribs for the brewery because, you know, have to buy five cases of ribs a week to cook. So I'd go to the grocery store. They order them for me. They put five cases on this big commercial cart. I got to drag them to the front. I have to take each rack of ribs out of the box. There's about 10 cases per box. So I have to load 50 racks of ribs 
on the conveyor belt. They have to scan them. Then I have to load 50 racks of ribs back in the boxes. And so in the process of doing this, you know, I'm loading as fast as I can, try to keep up with the checker so they don't have to wait for me. This guy who's paying, who's checking out, you know, he was ahead of me, looks back and goes, did you forget your mask, sir? Time kind of paused for a second. And I ran through everything in my head that I wanted to say. Should I call him a vigilante? Should I tell him mine is business? Should I be sarcastic? Should I be funny? And I was like, you know what? Like this guy, he's so sad about his life. He's so worried. He's so scared. He's so miserable. He's willing to speak up and make some sarcastic comment to someone who clearly had their mask on when they walked up. And it just slid down below my nose, right? I wear the handkerchief. I'm the bank robber guy. It slid down below my nose as I was loading these ribs from a shopping cart onto the conveyor belt. Sir, did you forget your mask? I just looked at him and I go, my bad. And I slid it up and I rolled my eyes like a 12-year-old girl and went back to my ribs. And then as he walked off, he goes, yeah, and earlier you were about a foot away from me too. I just ignored him. I mean, dude, if you weren't an old, if he was not an old guy, I, I, I treat old people with a little bit more respect than younger people. I mean, I have half a mind to teach the guy a lesson. I mean, what what's the worst that could happen? You know, you, you don't walk around in public telling people to wear their seatbelt. You don't make sure their airbags work so they don't kill the passenger. You don't make sure that Every time someone has a gun in their holster that they're carrying around, that it's not loaded in cocks, they don't kill someone. What gives you the right to approach another human and enforce some stupid rule that some stupid politician made to try to win votes? Yes, I, I think the mask thing is stupid. I don't think they work. That's my opinion. I still wear it. So you're getting what you want. Regardless, what gives you the right, man? And what would have happened if I had just reared back and punched the guy in the jaw? Well, I probably would have gone to jail and he would have had to get reconstructive surgery. So we don't want that to happen. But I think people should fear that. They should, they should be worried that if they say something like that to someone, something might happen. You know, he had every right to stay six feet away from me too. As he saw me creeping closer, he could have moved forward. But you know what? It's not worth having that kind of conversation with these kinds of people. He's more terrified about dying from the COVID. He's got more on his plate to worry about. I just, I just know that it made his blood pressure boil, and I kind of feel bad for the guy. I really do. Like, if you're that terrified, what are you doing out in public? What, what are you doing? Stay in your house, barricade yourself, pay someone to bring your groceries, and stop making comments to people. Ugh. I hate COVID. I'm so over it. I'm so sick of it. I, I just, let's just go. If it wipes out half the country, it wipes out half the country. If I have to die to get this country to work again and operate like normal, that's fine. I'll do it. I'll do it. I mean, the way that these people are living is not living. You know, it's not that weird to sacrifice something for your country. It used to be honorable. It used to be honorable to go to war and to die for your country to live like it was set out to live. And if we got to call COVID a war... And we got to go fight it. We got to beat it. Let's go. Let's do it. And if you're terrified, then you just stay home. Like, I don't know what's shifted. I don't know what's changed. But we are becoming a country of sissy asses.
Really. Really, everyone is terrified of everything. There's no brave men. There's no... You don't get recognized for bravery anymore. Well, you might if you scream the same thing that everyone else is screaming and you say things that everyone knows is true, like Black Lives Matter. Yeah, no shit, Black Lives Matter. Just stop it with a divisive rhetoric and be brave. And if you're scared, stay home. That's it. That's the three rules. I mean, we got people rioting in Portland. No one knows why. No one knows what they're writing about. No one's doing anything. Why aren't they doing anything? Over the course of last weekend, 60 calls in Portland went unanswered because the cops were too busy babysitting rioters and giving them space. I mean, (laughs) if that was ISIS, if that was Muslims out there trying to set the courthouse on fire, what would happen? What would we do? If it was a gang, if it was the Crips or the Bloods or someone like that, MS-13, what would we do? Would we stop and give them space? Would we not use force to let them speak? They're literally throwing rocks at the police officers. They're hurling giant rocks at them. And were the cops told? Uh, Don't use force. Uh, uh, There's too much uh, media right now, so let's just uh, stand down. Man, I don't blame the cops for quitting. I really don't. And I get it. Like, there's there's probably no immediate solution. But I think we should start working towards a solution. But before a solution can be devised, you have to establish a problem. So I'm of the opinion that we need to identify the biggest problems in the country. Using only statistics. That's the thing that most people cannot do. They can't set their feelings aside and use statistics. And I get that some statistics are not trustworthy, that they can be altered. But there are certain ones that are undeniable. And I just feel like we should label those statistics or we should identify them. And we could say, okay, what needs to change? Regardless of how anyone feels. What needs to change? Less people need to die. Less stores need to be robbed. Whatever it is, whatever you're going for, you identify the problem. And then you work up from there. You go backwards. Let's just take gun rights, for example, or the whole gun ownership thing. If too many people are dying, why are they dying? Assuming that we're talking about gunshot deaths. So they're dying because a bullet lodged into their body and caused their organs to stop functioning. So that's the problem. There's all kinds of solutions, right? We could have everyone walk around in full body armor and know like that bullets couldn't pierce. You know, we could do that. We could have 100% of the people be required to buy body armor. And it's a law. If you don't buy the body armor, you're not allowed outside. You have to stay in your house. Why don't we do that? Well, we don't do it because it's very expensive And it inconveniences a large portion of the population that does not need to wear it. So that example, just to show that we need to identify the low-hanging fruit. And when I say low-hanging fruit, I'm saying, what's the biggest impact that we can make with spending the least amount of money and inconveniencing the least amount of people that we can inconvenience? Because 
I mean, once again, we could go confiscate every single gun that's out there and force people to hand them over and buy them back and take away every gun from every possible hand in the country, right? We can do that. But we won't because it doesn't make sense. It's not low-hanging fruit. That's too hard. It's too expensive. It's too time-consuming. It's overreaching on the Second Amendment. And so that's the argument, right? What is the, what can we do? We've identified the problem. What can we do for the least amount of money, the least amount of inconvenience to solve the problem to the best of our ability? So once you get the fruit off the bottom of the tree, then you start working your way up. Then, then you, you know, then it takes a little bit harder to get the fruit. It's a little bit more effort. It may take more time, more energy, more money, whatever. So that's what I mean when I say low-hanging fruit. And not only that, but you need to have parameters. You need to have goals. You need to say, all right, we're going to pick all this fruit until we can't reach it anymore. Then we're going to go get a ladder, and we're going to get the next layer of fruit. After that ladder, to get the very, very top fruit, we're going to bring in the truck with the cherry picker if there's enough to get it. If there's not enough to get it to be worth it, then we're not going to do it. So we're not going to go rent the truck with a cherry picker if it's not if there's not enough fruit left on the top to cover the expense of that. And it's hard when you're talking about lives and guns. So I realize that there's there's some issues there. My whole point is that we need to identify problems and search for solutions based on statistics. If there's too many people dying in one community, but you have another community that no one is dying and both have the same amount of people and the same amount of guns, well, then we need to dig a little bit further. We need to say, okay, this community has this many guns per person and this one has the same amount. What's the issue? Obviously, it's not the guns. The whole point of this conversation isn't about guns. I just chose that for an easy example set. And and I think the real reason that, that a lot of times people don't want to talk about where the issues lie is because they tend to be identifiable, but no one wants to point the finger. Uh, or they're scared that if they point the finger, someone will accuse them of something that's not true. And now they're in a position to defend themselves. And now you have someone who's defending themselves from false accusations, but they're still being defensive. So they must be guilty. You see, the problem that I have when, when people use arguments, you know, let's just go back to uh, school shootings and guns. The arguments that, that the problem that I have in regards to those arguments is, well, Unless you've ever had a kid at school, you don't know what it's like to have a school shooting in your community. Bullshit. 100% bullshit. I may not know what it feels like to have a child, but that doesn't mean that I don't know how bad it sucks for a school shooting to occur in a community. Which takes me to my next point is that laws and policies should not be made based on how you feel. They should be made based on sound statistics. And if we go by that rule of, well, you don't know how it feels. Okay, maybe I don't know. Why does it matter? We have to look at statistics to make policy. We have to look at numbers. If we don't look at numbers, we can't identify low-hanging fruit. Now... Instead of standing on the ground and picking off the apples, we go right away and we get the cherry picker truck. 
and it takes a bunch of time and energy and resources to get the apples when really we could have started on the ground and got the apples. I hope that makes sense. I'm not going to take the time to tie it all together. I know this section was kind of abstract. I was just like free flowing, you know, like it was just like, like just coming through my mind and I had to like put it out there. And, you know, sometimes like when it, when I'm, when I'm perspired, like I don't even know what I'm going to say next. I just say it. That was my impression of Master P. You know, a lot of businesses right now are getting criticized for changing their name or their mascot because of racism and people are outraged if they decide to change this or change that. My thinking is every company has a right to do whatever they want to with their name. They're not obligated to not change their name because they don't want to. If they feel like that their business is slipping so much that they need to change their name, that's their decision. You, you don't have any right to tell them what to do with their business name. I do, however, think people should recognize that guilt is not the only reason why these companies do this thing. It all goes down to the bottom line every single time, unless it's a charity. If it is a business, they are there to make money. Sure, they have a social responsibility. Sure, they have an image they want to project. There's a cost to that. There's always a cost to everything. And I thought about this whenever I heard that, um, oh, I can't remember. Good Humor, I think, is the name of the, the company that does ice cream or something like that. So they, the official Ice Cream Man song, which I'm not going to sing it. You know how it goes. Like they, they figured out that the Ice Cream Man song goes way back to slavery and they wanted to change the name. <laughs> and I have not heard of one person that ever knew that that song was related to slavery in some way. I don't know if the slave masters sang it. I don't know. All I know is I heard on the news. That's all I need to know. They're changing their name. Okay, fine. My question is, if nobody knew that it was slave-related, was it offending anyone? No, of course not. It couldn't have been. Okay? So if I own this company... And I know that the song goes back to slavery, but I know that no one knows that. Why would I go through the cost and the expense of announcing that and organizing it if I knew that it wasn't offending anyone? Well, the answer to that is simple. They get social credit. They get credit for being proactive and changing their name. And it puts them in the news. It's free media coverage. So they felt like that the added benefit from changing their name was worth the expense, even though nobody was really offended. So, so my take on the whole name-changing game, you know, the, the Dixie Chicks dropped Dixie. Um, Lady Antebellum has officially changed their name to Lady A. Uh, the Washington Redskins are the Washington question mark, right? So I don't even know what they are now. But so these people are all changing names. And... If their real worry was offending people, they would just change them in silence. They wouldn't, they wouldn't make a spectacle of it. But they want the credit. They want the social credits for changing their name. This is especially true to businesses that have come under no attack or no pressure, right? So you look at the Washington Redskins. A certain group of white people have been screaming at the Washington Redskins for the last 10 years to change their names. 
Finally, Washington Redskins says, okay, we'll change our names, whatever. We just want to play football. So that's one reason. And there could be. I'm not saying that the owners of the Redskins didn't feel guilty also, right? So we have no way of knowing whether or not the real reason was because they got pressured into it or because the owners felt guilty. It was one of those two. We have absolutely no way of knowing. But then you have businesses who change their names before anyone has ever brought it up or anyone has ever said, hey, man, that's kind of offensive. That's kind of crappy. Maybe you should change that. Those people who are changing it before they've gotten any criticism are 100% in it for the social credit. And how do I know this? Because it takes time and energy and money to put a campaign out there to announce that you've changed your name. So what these businesses hope for is that they change their name, they get some credit, they now get public airtime at no cost, or a little bit of cost, in hopes that that will affect their revenue in a positive way. It has to be. Because if you felt guilty about doing something, if you felt bad about the way you had been doing something... You don't just come out and say, hey, I've been stealing money out of the cash drawer for the last three weeks. I'm not going to do it anymore. Are we cool? No. You just stop stealing the money, right? I mean, you don't, you don't tell them what you've been doing wrong. You just, just change our name. You know, We're just going to change it. We're not going to say why. We're just going to change it. We like this name better. I mean, that, that just blows my mind that no one thinks about this stuff. Or if they do, they don't talk about it. And once again, I feel like they have every right to change it. I'm not really criticizing them for changing their name. I'm just pointing out that the way that these businesses do things. And overall, I'm just not a fan of businesses seeking credit for doing good deeds. And and just in general, the personality of photo ops and PR spots and, you know, hey, let's get some recognition for this. I don't like that. I've never liked that. I think humility speaks so much more than, than, than photo ops and pictures and look at me. I think if you just run your business like you feel and you take care of people, your actions will speak so much louder than those silly photo ops. It just It's gross to me. I don't like saying, look at me. Look what I did. Look how good I am. Like That's just, I don't know. I understand that some people like it. They want the attention. But to me, it just seems cheesy. I don't know really how else to say it. H-E-B, a local grocery store, they're a prime example of this. They do so much good for the community. They give so much. They never, ever seek out recognition. It comes to them. If you're a good person and you do good things and you're a pillar of the community and your business is contributing to the good of society, I guarantee you the press will find you. They will find you. Now, I have nothing wrong With using the press to put your name out there. Like, I mean, we call the news all the time and say, hey, you guys want to come run a story? And we'll give a story about what's going on or problems we're having or issues that we're doing. But that's just to get our name in the news. That is not to get credit. That's not to say, hey, guys, um, we employ a homeless guy every, uh, every day pretty much. And we just would like everyone to know that we employ a homeless guy. Why? Why are, you, why are you telling me what you did? Just do it. You know what some of my favorite internet videos are? The ones where like the, um, the dog owner has been off at war, and they come back, and they're wearing their fatigues, 
and the dog sees them and they like in the front yard they meet and the dog looks at him it's kind of like growly like like who are you what are you doing here i don't recognize you and it barks at him it runs up to him and he catches a sniff on him and then they just go to licking their face and loving on him i'm like man that's why they're man's best friend I love those. I, I I think it's funny that dogs, you know, they they rely on their scent way more than than their vision to recognize people. And I've seen this before uh, with my own dog Bentley. When I used to live in Nicaragua, we'd go to the beach every day, and would play fetch right on the beach, and Bentley would run down the beach chasing the ball, get the ball, come back, and then she would see someone that that I could look at. And look similar to someone in my life. And she would run up to him all waggly, like tail wagging, like she thought she recognized him as someone she knew. And then as soon as she got close enough to smell him, she would just peel off and come back to me with the ball or go on about her business. Like she, she's not a dog to approach people she doesn't know. She just would rather not. And so it was so funny to watch her. And I would say, oh, yeah, that, that looked like my dad or that looked like my mom or that looks like Tyler, whoever has been around my dogs knows them well and um yeah it's funny you can just see see the dog identify them the dog runs up to them and the dog's like oh no you're not them and runs away and so i don't know i just like those the videos of the dogs um reuniting with their owners i think that's super cool i know today was a bit heavy so i wanted to lighten it up with <laughs> a description about my favorite dog internet stories i didn't really have anything funny planned for this week so it's just been crazy, uh, working a ton, trying to keep the brewery alive, trying to sell as much barbecue as we can, trying to do it with a minimum of staff because we can't afford to pay anyone. Man, I tell you what, this COVID, uh, it will either show you that you're not cut out to work for yourself or it will teach you how to be a better entrepreneur. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know where I'm at on that scale yet. It's yet to be seen how it's going to end. But man, it will definitely build up some calluses. All right, I think that's going to do it for today. I'm going to do the edit on this one myself and see how it turns out. Thanks for listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. I don't know when I'll do the next one. It might become a Sunday thing. I'm not sure yet. I've been getting home about 8 p.m. every night. So definitely not going to spend three hours uh, when I get home at 8 p.m. and do podcasting till 11. So... This one's going to be free. I won't charge you for the next couple ones either. Lucky for you. Thanks again for listening to Life in Paradise podcast. Go out there. Voice your opinion. Be heard. Do it respectfully. Don't be a grumpy old man who makes sly comments to a young guy who's just trying to make a living cooking ribs. Keep it tranquilo. Could you be loved? Could you be loved?